Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name's Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. And alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all in family ministry. I am passionate about making Christ and his church famous. And I'm also passionate about seeing people commit themselves to reading the entire word of God. That's what the book I've recently authored is all about. And that's what this podcast is all about. We want to see people develop. I love how you put it. Stacy, an open-ended commitment to reading the entire Word of God and doing it again and again and mm-hmm. again. This is season two of the podcast, and in this season, we are answering questions that have been submitted to us by listeners and viewers, and we are answering these questions the best we can using only scripture, right. sometimes bringing in a well-documented historical resource, but we want to find answers in God's Word. So this week's question was posed in the form of, What's the deal with Enoch Yeah, in Genesis? And we feel like that would make for a pretty short episode if we're going to stick only in mm-hmm. Scripture and what Scripture says specifically about Enoch. So we're going to expand the question just a little bit and include some others who are like Enoch. Mm-hmm. So the title of this episode is just People Who Don't Die. Yeah. Stacy, if you will, introduce yourself and bring us into this. I'm happy to. My name is Stacy Vines. I am a mom, a homeschool mom, a Bible teacher, and alongside my husband, we own small businesses and nonprofits here in our hometown. We've been a part of Ecclesia since its conception, and Tina and I have been stepping through Scripture for years now, waving the banner to have an open-ended commitment to read God's Word from start to finish. I'm thrilled to be a part of this podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed answering all of these questions, and today's question about people who didn't die in Scripture is certainly a great topic to cover, and I think it's going to be a really interesting and fun episode to listen or to follow along with. To get us started, we're going to jump right into the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 5, and we're going to read about this uh, person who was presented that got us on this topic in the first place, Enoch. And so I'll start reading in verse 18. It says, When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. So we're jumping in in the middle of this lineage and we see something super special about this man named Enoch who lived all these years, who had sons and daughters, who walked faithfully with God and then he was gone because God took him away. So we're gonna unpack what was special about Enoch, what is what is this lineage and what's going on with this person who didn't die, but just went to be with God? So let's begin by recognizing the chapters and the verses surrounding this passage. Genesis chapter four describes the first recorded murder in human history. Cain killing his brother Abel. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. And just before this, we see Adam and Eve have fallen, sin has entered the world, and God has immediately issued a promise in a way to redeem his creation. Now Abel, who had found favor with the Lord, is dead. 
at the hands of his brother Cain, who was his murderer. But we know again from Genesis chapter three that God has promised to bring about salvation from this lineage for mankind. So following the account of Abel's murder, the Bible gives us this brief genealogy from Cain, the murdering brother, son of Adam and Eve, the firstborn. And it's in Cain's lineage that we find a man named Lemek, who we need to just push pause and recognize really quick. This is not going to be the same Lemek who we're going to find in the next chapter of Genesis chapter four that Tina's going to walk us through. Uh, There is a couple of similarities between Cain's lineage and his younger brother Seth's lineage. And so there's also a Lemek in that that lineage as well. These two genealogies have a few things in common. One, they have a couple of children who are named the same, and both of them have an example of this seventh descendant of Adam that's being emphasized. So right here, we're going to hone in on Lemek, who is being emphasized by his wickedness and his twisted logic. Tina is going to introduce us to the highlighted descendant of Seth next. But this Lemek gives us the very first example of polygamy, and he even cites Cain's murder of Abel, that first wicked deed that caused God to drive Cain out of the garden and to mark him as separate from the garden and the presence of God. He cites it as justification for his own heightened murderous acts that he himself committed. And I'll read to you what he says there from Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Then he says, if Cain is avenged seven times because God protected Cain, when Cain was driven out of the garden, he was afraid because of his punishment being so great, being out of the presence of God. He, he's, God says to him, if anyone attacks Cain, he will be avenged seven times. Lemech recalls that and says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemech 70 times, 77 times. Cain's lineage continued in Cain's wickedness as a people who were decidedly apart from the Lord. Cain originally made the decision to take the life of Abel and was therefore driven out. He was set apart from God and even marked as set apart from God. His lineage continued to walk in that. We see even further in Genesis chapter four, verse 16, it says, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This lineage of Cain is well known because of the uh, large cities that they built, the raising and herding of livestock, creating tools from bronze and iron. Uh, They were very crafty. They played musical instruments and their accomplishments, while they were great, they were accomplished apart from God whose presence they left and resulted in an immoral society that would bring judgment on the world. So for this episode, we are gonna call this lineage of Cain, the sons of man. And this is gonna be important for next week's episode. So just go ahead and put that in your back pocket and hold on to that and be ready next week um, to discuss even further these sons of man. But what we wanna see here or what we see happening here is not totally uncommon. It still happens in our world today. We see all kinds of advances in civilization like buildings, science, medicine, technology. And while all of that's great, if it is done despite God or or apart from God, then it it brings about a great evil which can result um, because of it. 
So that's the line of Cain, these sons of man that we see from the account in Genesis chapter four, preceding the account in question for this episode, which is the passage about Enoch that happens in Genesis chapter five. So now, Tina, you're going to talk to us um, about the other side of this lineage, this other descendant of Adam, Seth. Yes. So that account, this lineage of Cain, chapter four in Genesis, it ends with some key verses. Just after Mm -hmm. what, Stacey, you just shared, uh, this account of Lamech, Cain's descendant, who multiplied Cain's evil. Here's what we read in Genesis 4, 25 and 26. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God granted me another child Mm -hmm. in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this account stands in sharp contrast to what we read about the sons of man or the descendants of Cain that you just introduced, who intentionally moved away from the Lord. Right. Here we see this lineage of Adam and Eve through Seth. They're calling on the name of the Lord. So in Adam and Eve's lineage here, we have the firstborn who was rejected by God because Mm -hmm. of the murder he committed, the secondborn, who's the one who was murdered, and now the third, who began a lineage that rather than moving away from God, is calling Mm -hmm. on God. They're seeking him out, the opposite of what the lineage of Cain was doing. Now, humanity that is descended from Adam and Eve through their son, Seth, is traced in Genesis 5. Now we go into this lineage, and in the seventh generation, like you just mentioned, this emphasis on the seventh descendant, the seventh generation descended directly from Adam. That's where we find this mysterious account of Enoch, the one in question. What's the deal with Enoch? And I don't want us to get this Enoch in the lineage of Seth mixed up with the Enoch in the line of Cain. Like Mm -hmm. you said, we've got some crossover here in names that can be confusing. Because Cain also had a son, his direct descendant, who was named Enoch. And then he actually went out and built a city. Like you said, this lineage was famed for their building of cities, among Mm -hmm. other things. And he built a city in the land of Nod, where he was sent east of Eden, and he named that city Enoch after this son. But these two lineages have different fathers, Cain and Seth, and completely different paths. Mm -hmm. The lineage of Cain is rejecting God, and the lineage of Seth is calling on God. And here's how this lineage is introduced in Genesis chapter 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now, I want you to note the wording here, Mm -hmm. because what do we know about Adam? We know that he was created in the image of God. And then we know that Adam's son, Cain, rejected that image by murdering a bearer of God's image, his own brother, Abel. So now God is giving Adam another son, a new image bearer, to carry on the lineage that God created that he already said Mm -hmm. was going to produce a restoration, a salvation for the world. That was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. So for that reason... We're going to call this lineage of Seth the sons of God. Right. Like Cain's descendants, the sons of man that we've already looked at. That's going to be important for next week's episode. So we want you to put both of those in your back pocket. On one hand, you've got Cain's descendants, the sons of man. And on the other, you've got Seth's descendants, the sons of God. Right. So this Enoch in question, not the son of Cain, but the descendant of Seth. Right. 
He was bearing the image of God. He's walking faithfully with God his whole life, Mm -hmm. which was only 365 years, a lot, and yet less than half of the length of the other members of Seth's lineage. And then at the end of that, he was spared this end that's appointed to all mankind. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews nine twenty seven and 28 speaks to this. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. Mm-hmm. So ever since the time that man broke fellowship with God by sinning in the Garden of Eden, death has been his end. Right. That was the actual consequence is that man now had to die. We explored this in season one and recognized that this is not so much a punishment from God as it is an act of grace on our behalf because God didn't want humanity to live eternally Mm -hmm. in a broken relationship with him where there was a a hindrance to our perfect fellowship with him. And so he put this death Mm -hmm. in to end our mortal existence so that we could enter back into an unbroken, perfect love and union with God through Christ, who has been promised through this lineage from Adam and Eve that's now being propagated by Seth. Right. But Enoch was spared that transition point and instead was just taken directly to heaven, presumably because of his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Like Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away, just like you read at the beginning, Stacey. So this is a mysterious thing and it's not the usual path of God, Mm -hmm. but we could dig more into it even though there's not much more to be said specifically about Enoch in Scripture. We can find other people in scripture, though, who follow the same path, who actually ascend rather than die. Yeah, it's a great theme through scripture. Yes. And I'm excited that we get to step through it. So we see another example of ascension, someone who was spared from that um, appointed uh, date that we all have, right? That Hebrews tells us we are all appointed to. We see another example of this also in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. We see that the prophet Elijah lived a life of great faith and service to God, and he accomplished amazing miracles for God and for God's glory. Through him, God delivered great judgments against the wicked. Uh, And I'll read for you from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, because this is the record of the end of Elijah's life. After living a life following God, being the mouthpiece of God against great wickedness, here is the end that we see for Elijah. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. So just for some context here, Elijah is the prophet that we're talking about. Elisha is his, his um, predecessor. This is who God has told Elijah will take his place when Elijah has gone on into eternity. Elisha will take up the mantle to be the prophet who will then speak against the wickedness and will speak on behalf of God. So right now they're on their way and it's known that Elijah is about to be taken up in a whirlwind. They're on their way to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. There, the company of the prophets at Jericho went out to meet Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. He replied, So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Again, something so similar happens. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took off his coat, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two men crossed over on dry ground. There's so much that we could talk about there. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Here's his response. Elisha replied, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And so far, we see that Elisha has stuck so close with Elijah, even being reminded several times I'm, you know, your master is going to be taken yeah. from you. I'm going here, so stay behind. And every time he was so persistent, which he would have needed to walk out what he wanted, which was that double portion of Elijah's spirit, yeah. because not only was he going to have to walk out the miracles, but the persistence against wickedness as the mouth of God, the mouthpiece of God, would be a great task that Elisha was about to encounter and about to step into. So that persistence would have been required. But we'll see what happens here in verse 11, because this is really the highlight and where we see Elijah really take on this incredible encounter and ascend into heaven. So let's pick up in verse 10 and see what Elijah said to Elisha, who's just asked for a double portion of his spirit. He says, you have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will, ne- it will not. Verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah, Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Now this kind of account This account is kind of like what we see in the account of Enoch, where he was taken up in a whirlwind and he was just no more. But the difference here with Elijah is that there seemed to be a buzz about it. Yeah. There seemed to be a well-known multiple people in multiple towns knew that it was a day that Elijah would be taken up specifically in a whirlwind into heaven. Like we saw twice, the company of the prophets asked Elijah's disciple or his servant, Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? So they were anticipating Elijah's departure. And like we we pointed out a moment ago, Elisha refused to leave him. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, we saw a powerful account of Elisha's leaving his family to follow Elijah in the first place into this service with the Lord. When Elijah found Elisha, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was very busy is what we can all interpret that to be. But at Elijah's call, scripture says that he, Elisha, uh, 
this is from First Kings chapter 19, verse 21. It says, he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and then he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. He was immediately obedient to that call. Here we see a picture of someone who is fully committing his life to God. He has sacrificed the very tools that would have provided his livelihood and his own self-sustaining because he was sure that he had no intention to turn back. We see Jesus say something very similar to this in the New Testament in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 62, where he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So Elisha, just to highlight him, had the ambition and the heart to serve in the kingdom of God with no intentions of turning back. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to. And because of that, he got to witness and receive the double portion of Elisha's spirit. And he did that because he got to see Elijah called up in a whirlwind of, of fire into heaven. Now, as Elijah is about to be taken away by God, Elisha, like we pointed out a moment ago, wasn't going to let him out of his sight. That persistence, again, was what he would have required in order to walk out uh, all of this that he had asked for. Something that you pointed out to me um, when we were talking about this before we recorded this was Elijah not only was a miracle he, he, not only did he perform miracles like calling down fire from heaven yeah. or making the rain stop and then praying that the rain would come again, yeah. not only did he perform these powerful, powerful miracles to display the power of God, but he endured a ton of persecution. He endured slander. He endured threat. He was uh, sought after to be murdered because of his faith. So when he says to Elisha, you're asking a very difficult thing. I wonder too, if in his mind, he looks at him as his disciple, as his student and says, man, what you're asking for is really a tall order. It's more than miracles. When you walk faithfully with God, there's more that comes along than just the the sparkle and the glitter. Kind of like James and John's mom asking Jesus, grant that these two sons of mine will sit at your right and your left hand. And he goes, you don't understand what you're asking. Nail on the head. As he's headed to Jerusalem to be nailed on a cross right. with a man to his right and a man to his left. A cup that we do not want to drink from. Right. And, and, and just to hold on to that as we walk through, uh, stepping through this scripture, Elijah faced all of that and Elisha asked for a double portion of it. So, so just to get back to where we started, here are these two accounts that are alike. Yeah. You know, they both involve the ascension to heaven of a man who did not die, which is the hope of what we're going to step through today. And these two men are alike because each are marked uh, with the same character trait. The Bible says that they walked faithfully with God. And so we're going to follow that trace of the faithful who ascend and who are spared from this appointed uh, moment of death, right? And so Tina's going to walk us through that and the ascension of the faithful. So yeah, very powerful pictures of ascension of God's very, very faithful people right. from Enoch to Elijah. And this is mysterious. Mm-hmm. And so we want to know more about it, but it's not unlike one more ascension of the faithful yes. that's been promised in scripture. Mm-hmm. And this is one that we ought to pray for and that we ought to long for. Yes. And we find it spelled out for us in First Thessalonians chapter four, 
And we're going to read, just starting in verse 1 here, where Paul is giving instructions about how to lead lives that are pleasing to God. Who's going to ascend? Mm -hmm. The faithful. Right. So here's what Paul says. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more Mm -hmm. and more double portion. Mm -hmm. Keep it up. For you know the instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, after Paul had given these instructions through this chapter about walking faithfully with God, he transitions into a message about what's going to happen after death. Right. Right. We are talking about these very few accounts in scripture where people escaped the appointed end of mankind. Mm Mm-hmm. But what of those who don't? Well, that's what Paul goes into next. Chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed Mm -hmm. about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, we're talking about people who don't die here, but let's just land on that for a minute and recognize that We as Christians have a kind of hope that while it hurts for someone to be Mm -hmm. separated from us by death, because we're going to miss them, we don't have to feel hopeless. We don't have to mourn like the rest of the world because we have a promise, Mm -hmm. not just a hope, but a promise of resurrection. Mm -hmm. And yet we also have a promise of ascension because there is a whole generation of those who are like Enoch, like Elijah, going to be exempt from death. And that's what Paul describes next, starting in verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, And here's the ascension. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with our Lord forever. Mm -hmm. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is something we should be talking about. Yes. When the question arises, wow, there's this mysterious account in yep. Genesis of this guy who just ascended into heaven. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy like it. And that is a hope that we all long for. Right. One generation will have that privilege. We mm-hmm. don't know which one it will be because we don't know when Jesus Christ is going to return. But what we do know is that when he does return, yep. that those who are found faithful, those who are in Christ, that will be the same end yes. for those who are on the earth then. Just like Enoch and just like Elijah, we are going to um, ascend yes. to meet him. Now, notice what this passage said, that when Christ returns, he's going to bring with him Mm -hmm. the dead who have died in him. Right. There's that glorious hope we have. While we mourn for those who are going to be separated from us for a little while, the the generation who is alive at Christ's return is going to see Christ returning with those who have gone before us. Right. And then all of us who are alive at that time, will ascend, will be called up to meet the Lord in the air, Mm -hmm. and we will all ascend together. 
Right. So they will not die, right? That generation who is alive when he returns, they won't die. They will be right. caught up. They will be like Enoch. They will be like Elijah. These accounts of people who have escaped death really are fascinating. Yeah. But there, there is a level of fear that we all still have when it comes to death. Yeah. And a level of sadness that it brings even for those of us who walk faithfully with God. And that's the call. Walk faithful with God and you won't have to fear death. Death often involves pain and suffering uh, to a degree. And it's natural that we want to be spared from this. Yeah. This has actually been a stronghold in my life where I've prayed so many nights that God would give me so many years with my family because I love them, but also because I wanted to be spared from that pain. Yeah. And it's natural to want to be spared from that. But our comfort is that whether we ascend with those who remain and are here when Christ returns, or whether or not we return with Christ to gather those who remain, yes. Jesus has made a way for all of us to experience eternal life with him. And when confronted with sorrow that death brings, Jesus tells Martha. And so I just want to share this with anyone who's experiencing sorrow or pain that death does bring. Jesus tells Martha in Luke chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, he says, the one who believes in him, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in him will never die, ever. And he asked her this, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And so I'll ask, do we believe this? Because that's really what can combat that fear and that sorrow and that pain. And that can help us walk in uh, the scriptures that you just referenced a moment ago, that we do not have to grieve and mourn like those who have no hope. Right. Our belief that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that even those who die, they will never really die ever. Yeah. Most of the faithful are going to enter eternity through resurrection, right? But some of the faithful, like Enoch, like Elijah, they're going to enter through ascension. Yeah. Something that Tina and I talk about a lot um, every time we get together, really, is uh, kind, of, kind of this joke of, wouldn't it be great if it was today? Yeah. This, uh, this desire for Jesus to return today, I would love nothing more than to be among those who ascend, yes. who never taste death. But we're going to close with this promise from God and just let his word speak for him and let this let scripture speak for itself. So we're going to end in the book of Corinthians, the second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter five, verses one through 10. It says, for we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So just to unpack what Paul is saying there, while we walk out in this flesh and bone tent that we're walking around in, we should groan to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Yeah. We should long for resurrection. We should long for ascension. We should pray for his return. It should be our every morning, first thing out of our lips and our at night, last thing that we even make a conscience thought about. And then maybe 
uh, we will be looking on high for his return every day. Verse five, it says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So while we aim to please God, while we walk in this tent, while we long for our heavenly dwelling, while we give God the glory for the, the, the way that he has purposed this, yeah. uh, the, this clothing that he has purposed us for, we start by making this commitment to knowing God, his character, his nature, and his plan. Um, and this is a, a posture that we see Paul commissioning this church in Corinth to walk in. And it's the same example that we should all long to walk in. But without reading scripture, I'm going to say that's a really hard, I'm going to assume that's a really hard posture to naturally want to be in. Sure. Because this life can be so intoxicating. And, and I won't even go down the path of sin. Just my own example that I gave of praying and, and having to really break a stronghold that I would so desperately pray to God that he would spare me the pain of losing my one of my children or losing my husband, that can feel like the very best thing in the world. But the truth is, it's not. It falls short of what it feels like to be in the presence of God, yeah. of what eternity will be like. And so without a full view of God and his character, his love and his plan— I don't think that we will naturally posture ourselves to be awaiting right. a heavenly dwelling or a heavenly body or clothings that will never perish and will never rot um, to be in the presence of God. So I want to commission you once more, like we do every week, uh, to pick up this resource, Tina's uh a company to reading the Bible in one year, step into scripture. You can find it on Amazon to help you as you persevere and as you long for heavenly things. Um, you, this is uh, published by renew.org and is an excellent resource. And many of the things that we've talked about today have come directly from this. So I encourage everyone uh, to pick that up. And as you go through the entire word of God, you'll learn to draw these lines too, yeah. where when you read something that's cryptic or mm -hmm. unexpected like Enoch what's the deal with Enoch well the deal is Enoch ascended because he was faithful and then we keep reading the Bible and we see Elijah ascended because he was faithful and then we keep reading the Bible and we come to the New Testament and we say God please let me ascend mm -hmm. because you find me faithful yes that's the promise that we pray for yeah, to hear, well done, my good and faithful That's servant. That's it. That's mm -hmm. what we're living for. So thank you all for being with us, and we look forward to stepping through Scripture with you more next week. See ya.